From a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation? Intriguing stories and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really soak it? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Lucchi, your host. Feel free to chime in and let me know what you're thinking. I love hearing from my listeners. Just shoot me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com or you can also connect with me via my contact form at talkwithfrancesca.com. This portion of Talk with Francesca is sponsored by Terramia Restaurante. If you are interested in heading into Boston this weekend, I'm giving away a $100 gift card to Terramia. It's simply the best Italian food, one of my absolute favorite restaurants, along with Antico Forno, which also happens to be owned by the same wonderful person. So here's all you have to do. Jump on your computer and be the fifth emailer and put in the subject line, best Italian food. That's it. Okay, enough housekeeping. Hopefully you're on your way to the North End for some fabulous Italian food. And now we're going to get into some really meaty stuff. So get a pen and paper, take some notes, because you're going to want to remember this stuff. And let's just start with letting you know that with all the help available from experts, why do you think so few couples found the secret to keeping love alive? Between busy schedules, the internet, and oh, the smartphones, those wonderful things, and probably a hundred other things, we forget to give compliments or give gifts just because, or say, I love you. And saying I love you can come in many forms, as we're going to discover today. We know love takes work. That head over heels, champagne in the veins feeling lasts an average of two years. Wow, I didn't even know it lasted that long. But anyway, Gary Chapman is the New York Times bestselling author of The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts, and I'm thrilled to have him with us today. So again, I recommend a pen and paper to take notes because you'll want to rem- remember what he has to say. So welcome, Gary, to talk with Francesca. So happy to have you with us. Well, thank you, Francesca. It's good to be with you today. So it's amazing that The Five Love Languages has been on the New York Times bestseller list since 2008. I mean, what is it about this book that sets it apart from all the zillions of relationship books out there? You know, Francesca, I think uh, what makes it different is it's not just talking about the importance of love. It's talking about how to communicate love in a way that the other person will feel loved. It's addressing the whole issue of keeping emotional love alive in a relationship. You know, I think uh, most people agree The deepest emotional need we have as humans is the need to feel loved by the significant people in our lives. If you're married, that's your spouse. You know, if you're a child, it's feeling loved by your parents. So uh, I think uh, it helps couples understand how to communicate love in a meaningful way. You know, you say there's a number of ways to express love within a love language, um, and it's limited only by our our imagination. But before we talk about that, um, tell us what the five love languages are. One of them is words of affirmation. Okay. You look nice in that outfit. Really appreciate what you did. You know, one of the things I like about you, just using words to affirm the other person. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. You can kill people 
by the way you talk to them, or you can give them life. So words of affirmation is one of the love languages. Mm. A second love... Yeah, That's very profound. It's very simple, but yet it's very profound. And it is true. You've got to be careful with words. You know, I mean, they are they are very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, Francesca, I had a lady say to me some time ago, she said, you know, I know it would be good if I could give my husband some positive words. She said, but to be honest with you, I can't think of anything good to say about the man. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know whether they're still married. And I said... Well, does he ever take a shower? She said, well, yes. I said, how often? She said, well, every day. I said, if I were you, I'd start there. You know, I appreciate you taking a shower. I said, listen, there are men who don't. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you taking a shower. Come on. Come on. You can come up with something better than that. (laughs) You know, Francesca, I've never met a man, I've never met a woman that you couldn't find something good to say about them. And when you give them a positive word, there's something inside of them that wants to be better. You give them a critical word, and there's something inside of them that wants to run away from you. So, you know, words of affirmation, it's exceedingly important. Mm -hmm. A second love language is gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. My academic background before I studied counseling was anthropology, cultural anthropology. We have never discovered a culture anywhere in the world where gift-giving is not an expression of love. It's universal to give gifts. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. So uh, gifts is a second love language. Mm. A third love language? Yeah. Acts of service. Doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. Oh, let's, can, America, I, can I just interject here for a second? Because I want to I want to make a comment about gifts. Now, I, I think that is a lovely thought, but I think that can also be a little bit dangerous. Um, you know, I mean, it, it can sometimes be too easy a way to put off giving your time, which I think is the most important of all. You know, being present with someone, I think that is the most profound thing that one can do when they love someone. Um, giving the gift of time. And, and it worries me sometimes when when a man or a woman shower each other with gifts, but there are, you know, issues that they can't seem to resolve within the relationship. It's like, oh, we have a problem. I'll go, I'll send her flowers or, you know, yeah, yeah, I, that worries yeah. me. That one worries me. What do you think? Well, well, this, this is why the five love languages is so important. Quality time is the primary love language of some people. You know, you're, you're calling it the gift of presence. Giving them quality time really speaks to some people, but that's not the love language of everyone. Some people have gifts as their love language. This is what makes them feel loved. And if you don't ever give them anything, in their mind, they're thinking and feeling, you don't love me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the key is to discover the other person's primary love language. Now, all of them can communicate love, okay? None of us are going to walk away from any of these expressions of love. But typically, one of them speaks more deeply to us than the other four. And if you don't speak the primary love language of the other person, Mm -hmm. then they may not feel loved, even though you are sincerely expressing love to them. But let's make it, let's let's just play the devil's advocate here. So, um, for example, a woman's dad travels. Maybe he has a job where he's traveling all the time. And when he comes home, you know, he brings his daughter um, a gift. But he's mm-hmm. not really around much. He 
really isn't emotionally available to the daughter, but but yeah. he's always giving her gifts. I'm just sort of thinking as I'm talking here, but uh, this sure. is right. So, but then now, the the problem is that so she her dad is emotionally distant, but he's giving her gifts all the time. Now she's a, a young adult, and you know, so she is seeking out what she knows, which is an emotionally distant man who gives her gifts. What would you, you know, does that make any sense? Do you see that as a potential problem? It it does make sense because I think children need the presence of their father. You know, many, many books have been written on the absentee father, Mm -hmm. you know, whether he's just left the home or whether he's not home very much. And there's no question about it. Children need to have an emotional connection with their father. And that involves spending time with their father, exceedingly important. So you're exactly right. I think many times, uh, for example, I I see that often in divorce situations Mm -hmm. where a a husband has left the wife. It could have been the other way around. But his his basic way of showing love to the children is giving them gifts. Mm -hmm. When he is with them, he gives them gifts. And it's almost like an effort to to salve his own conscience. Mm -hmm. And he realizes he's not with them anymore, so he's going to give them gifts. Uh, but unless gifts is their love language, it's not going to communicate to them that they really feel that he really loves them. Right. And so uh, I think, uh, again, the key issue is what is the love language of the child? And, and if you have three children, they may well have three different love languages. Absolutely. So you can't do the same thing with right. all of them. You know? Right, right. Gary, um, we need to take a short break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk about the, the other love languages. So stay with us here, listeners. Don't jump on that plane. We will be right back. Don't try so hard to move past the moment. Are you looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's restaurant guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on the Hunt Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. 
Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723-6733 or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. If you're looking for a full-service upholstery workshop, look no further than J.C. Upholstering in Lynn. We have you covered whether it's upholstery, reupholstery, furniture repair, slipcovers, or custom furniture design. Specializing in car and boat interiors, as well as antiques. We are the company that North Shore Interior Designers trust because of our quality workmanship. Contact us today for a free consultation or estimate on your residential or commercial upholstery furniture or antiques project. Call 781-599-8515 or visit us online at jcupholstering.net. Are you looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's restaurant guide, pastas without compare, and it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. All right, we are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca, and I'm speaking with Gary Chapman about his fabulous book that's been on the New York Times bestseller list for an awfully long time, Um, and we are talking about the five love languages, so welcome back, Gary. Thank you. It's good to be back with you, Francesca. So we've got um, gift giving, we've got, uh, what else? We've got gift giving, we've got the gift of time, service, compliments. What have we missed? Yes, uh, you know, we talked uh, in, the, in the first section about words of affirmation right. and gifts primarily. Yep. Uh, acts of service is another love language. It's doing things for the other person you know that they would like for you to do. In a marriage relationship, that would be such things as cooking meals, washing dishes, vacuuming floors, washing the car, mowing the grass, walking the dog, changing the baby's diaper, anything that you know they would like for you to do. You remember the old saying, actions speak louder than words. Of course, yeah. That's true for these people. It's not true for everyone, but it's true for these people. If this is their love language, then actions do speak louder than words. So a wife may be complaining that her husband uh, doesn't spend time with her or that she doesn't feel loved by him. And he will say, how could you say that? You know, look at what I do. Mm -hmm. See, in his mind, he's loving her by doing things. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's not her love language. Maybe her love language is quality time, which is a fourth love language. Well, and and women in particular have that that itch more than men, I think. Perhaps. You know, these are not necessarily gender specific. Uh, A wife can have any one of these, or a husband can have any one of these. But it may be true. I, I haven't done the research to know if it really... If there's more women, you know, who prefer quality time. But quality time means that you give the person your undivided attention. It's not a husband and wife sitting on the couch watching television. Someone else has your attention. I'm talking about sitting on the couch, the TV's off, 
you're looking at each other, talking to each other, uh, listening to each other. And, and when, when I sit on the couch with my wife and give her 20 minutes listening and interacting with her, I've given her 20 minutes of my life, mm-hmm. and she's done the same thing for me. You know, it's powerful mm-hmm. to give someone your undivided attention. And then uh, number five is physical touch, and we've no, long known the emotional power of physical touch. Mm-hmm. That's why we pick up babies, hold them, kiss them, cuddle them. Long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love. By well, yeah, touch. I mean, and children who you know uh, haven't have, you know been born into a you know a um, an orphanage. I mean, these children. Yeah tend to have problems because there was no physical touch. So absolutely. I mean, I think that's a big deal. And yeah, and, and, and that's a big one. And that's, um, you know, that's scary because if, if one has, you know, a stronger desire in one area versus another, you know, maybe one, it's physical touch where, you know, interestingly, I have a a friend actually, it's, it's a, it's a, um, interesting dynamic with a relationship. It didn't end up working out, but she was dating a guy for about three months and, you know, her thing was physical touch. His Mm -hmm. was showing, it was doing work for her. It drove her crazy and it drove him crazy, but there wasn't enough to sustain the, the relationship. So, you know, that was, that was pretty, um, that went, came and went pretty fast, but and I assume that how we develop our love language starts in uh, in growing up. Yeah, you know, you can discover a child's love language by the time they're four years old if you just observe their behavior. Mm-hmm. For example, my son's love language is physical touch. Mm-hmm. When he was three or four, when I came home in the afternoon, he would run to the door, grab my leg, climb all over me. He's touching me because he wants to be touched. Mm-hmm. Our daughter never did that. Our daughter would say, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. Her love language was quality time. She wanted my undivided attention. Uh, They're adults now, and that's still their love language, physical touch and quality time. So I don't know, you know, Francesca, people ask me, is this nature or nurture? Are you born with it, or do you learn it early? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And who Maybe cares anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just know it's there, and you can observe it, you know, by the time they're four years old. Mm-hmm. And I assume that you can have more than one love language. I mean, I, you know, I know I, I – in fact, in a lot of ways, don't we all have all the love languages to some degree? I mean, not necessarily – there are certainly percentages. You know, I know, I, think, for, I know for myself what is – well, actually, what what I want and how I show love is different. So, um, you know, I may want a certain, I, I may want that service kind of thing, that attention, mm-hmm. but I also want the affirmation. I mean, there, are, you know, yeah. I, I want a number of, of different things. Although, if you know, my uh, spouse walked around all day saying "You're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful," and full of compliments, that certainly would not sustain me. Um, so, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's obviously an issue. Uh, yeah. so, so if you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to talk with Francesca, I'm speaking with Gary Chapman about his book, the five love languages. So I hope you're taking notes. This is really fascinating. And, uh, you know, Gary, I mean, once the disagreements come and the disappointment sets in, I mean, so many couples resign themselves to dissatisfying relationships, um, you know, how do you how do you not make till death do us part of life sentence? You know, uh, Francesca, as you said earlier in the program, 
the average lifespan of the in love experience, mm-hmm. when we're pushed along with all these euphoric feelings, the average lifespan of that is two years. We come down off the high. Now, let's be glad we come down off the high, because if we didn't, you'd have to close down business, industry, education. It's hard to get anything done when you're in love, you know? Being in love is next door to being insane, you know? <laughs> And yeah, well, we I mean, all there are there worst parts. You know, it's I'd rather be, be insane love. like I'm that. Not, yeah. I'm not kicking it. You know, it's a wonderful experience, but it's temporary. Mm-hmm. If we're going to meet each other's emotional need for love after we come down off the high, this is where the love languages becomes exceedingly important. Uh, as you said earlier, also, yes, all five of these are fine. We can we can receive love in all five, but typically one of them is more important than the others. If we had to give up one. We'd give up this one and then this one, but never this one. This is the one that really makes me feel loved. I call it our primary love language. It's very similar to spoken language. All of us grew up speaking a language with a dialect, and that's the one we understand best. Mm -hmm. You know, we call it our native tongue. I grew up speaking English Southern style, okay? Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) That's my native tongue. Well, the same thing's true with love. I knew you weren't from Boston the second you opened your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a primary love language. And you're right in what you said earlier. Many times we have a secondary love language that's very, very close to number one. And then the other three fall in line under that. Uh, But if you don't speak the primary, then they're not going to feel loved, even though you may be doing some of the others. Right. So what can our spouse or partner's complaints reveal to us? Other than the obvious, they're complaining because they have an issue. But, but um, you know, specifically, what are your thoughts? Well, I think complaints often grow out of the fact that we don't feel loved. For example, if a husband goes on a business trip, or it could be a wife, and they come home and the spouse says, you didn't bring me anything? Good one, yeah. yeah. They're telling you that gifts is their love language. Now, see, we tend to get annoyed Ah, by that. We get defensive by that. Yeah, yeah. Or if a wife says to a husband, well, we just don't spend any time together. You know, we're like two ships passing in the night. And a husband will say, what do you mean don't spend time together? Went, Went to dinner with you Thursday night. See, we get defensive. Really, the complaints are revealing their love language. They're giving you valuable information when they complain. Right. We don't typically complain unless it's growing out of a, an unmet need inside of us. And so uh, I just say to, to husbands and wives, take the complaints of your spouse seriously because they're giving you information as to what would make them feel loved. But it's not necessarily any of those, you know, um, languages necessarily like it could be that there's a value difference i mean you know um yeah. you know one's more athletic than the other maybe one ha- is more family oriented you know let's just say that for example you have a couple and one comes from you know a, a, a background where you know the families all live together in the three family houses and that's what they know and and they really stick together that way and and they and they really value um, that and I'm not saying that people don't necessarily. I mean, everyone values family to some degree, but yeah. there are definitely degrees. And if you don't share that same value, it doesn't really matter if your love language is the same. Mm. If you don't have the same values, then well, you're going to be falling out of love pretty, pretty quickly. I, I would think. Well, every couple has conflicts. 
You're exactly right. And they grow out of the fact that we do come from different backgrounds. We bring our culture to our marriage, whatever that culture was, we bring it to our marriage. And in our mind, this is the way you do whatever it is that we're talking about. You know, this is the way you wash dishes. This is the way you load a dishwasher. This, as you mentioned, this is the way we spend time with our family. So we all bring our culture together, and we are inevitably going to have conflicts. Every couple will have conflicts, some more than others, because they, the differences are greater. With well, some, some couples. couples actually like to fight. Are there stages of love, do you think? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, seriously. Yeah. I mean, you know, are there stages of love, though, do you think? Stages of love? Mm-hmm. I, I think there are at least two stages. There's that in-love experience, and then there's this much more intentional experience mm-hmm. where you have to think about loving them, and you have to be intentional about doing it. I do want to say this about conflicts, however. I think if we're speaking each other's love language and trying to stay connected emotionally, it's much easier to solve conflicts. When you don't feel loved, the conflicts look even bigger. And couples who don't learn how to respect each other's ideas in in terms of the differences and look for a solution rather than trying to win the argument, those couples are not going to make it. You know, two couples each of whom is out to win the argument, fails to recognize that if you win the argument, your spouse lost. It's no fun to live with a loser. So why would you create one? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what I say is, we've got to learn to respect each other as a human. And two humans are never going to see everything the same way. So give each other the freedom to have thoughts that differ from your thoughts, and ways that will differ from your ways, and emotions that will differ from yours. Respect their thoughts and their feelings, and spend your time looking for a solution that we can both live with. And when you solve conflicts like that, you're closer after the conflict than you were before. So many, um, so many settle, in my opinion, for roommate marriages. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, I think you're exactly right. And uh, it's unfortunate because marriage, I believe, was designed for a loving, caring, supportive relationship. And when it is that, when each of you has the attitude, how can I help you? How can I make your life easier? How can I be a better husband to you or a better wife to you? And when we have that attitude, it, it's really the opposite of selfishness. Selfishness views a relationship in terms of what I'm getting out of it. And a selfish person is saying to their spouse, you should do this, you should do that. You're not meeting my needs. You're not, you're. When we're looking only in terms of what am I getting out of this, two selfish people will never have a good marriage. But two loving people who have the attitude that I want to enhance your life, I want to help you reach your goals and your objectives in life, and we have that attitude toward each other, then we will we'll have the kind of marriage that we wanted when we got married, a loving, supportive, caring relationship. That's what marriage is designed to be. Uh, it was never designed to make people miserable. <laughs> do, you, do you think that roommate marriages can even work? Like, I mean, do you think that, that you know, a relationship that's just based on, you know, sleeping in different rooms and, I mean, do you think yeah. that's even possible? Well, logistically, it can work. But it's not a satisfying relationship. No. I think couples often live in that relationship because they're fearful of, you know, 
going out on their own because they're afraid they can't make it on their own financially or right. other, other reasons, you right. know. Or sometimes couples have that kind of marriage and they stay there for their children. You know, they say, well, the kids need us, so we're going to stay here for the kids. And then when the kids leave, then they feel like, well, then maybe I'm free to divorce. Mm. But, you know, when I speak on college campuses mm-hmm. about marriage and family, the kids who hang around and talk to me after it's over, many of them say, it would have been better. You know, yeah. my parents split up after I left for college, yeah. and I don't even want to go home anymore. You know, I don't know where home is. You know, we feel like when they get big, it won't hurt them. But yeah. the yeah. it doesn't is, matter. Divorce, when, I don't think it really matters when they. I don't. Th- I think a, a relationship splitting up in, in general is a nightmare for for the couple. Whether one's yeah. decided they want to leave, I mean, I think it's it's a difficult time for yeah. for both people as well as the children. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about the climate of security in a committed relationship. Uh, I think that you know security is a very important aspect of a relationship, and I'm just wondering how, like, when there's let's say cheating, how one can ever have that climate of security again. No matter yeah, what, well, even if you have the same love languages, even you know, or you know the love languages, you, you know, you're and you're you're following what you you say, how to go about doing them. I mean, this is just it, it's still a problem. Uh, you're talking about when one's been unfaithful to yeah, the other. Yeah, how do you how do you regain that? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's let's face it. When there's been sexual unfaithfulness to to a spouse, it is devastating. Yeah. Uh, I don't know anything you can do that's going to hurt more deeply mm-hmm. than, than that. Can there be life beyond that? Yes, I believe there can be, if the person is willing to totally break off that relationship, and then engage in counseling so that we can. Not, not just come back together. That's not the answer. The answer is let's learn how to have a different kind of relationship than what we had before. Uh, but I like to say this. When a person comes back and they are apologetic for what they've done, they recognize that they, they've hurt you very deeply, and they're willing to break that relationship off, and they're asking for your forgiveness, Here, here's what you need to understand. Forgiveness does not equal trust. Forgiveness opens the door to the possibility that you can trust again. You see, the reason you lost trust is because they were untrustworthy. And the way you will gain trust is if they are trustworthy. So here's what I say. Let's say the husband is the one who's been unfaithful. Could be either. If you want to regain the trust of your wife, you say to her, my cell phone is yours, honey, anytime you want to look at it. My computer's yours anytime you want to look at it. If I tell you that I'm going over to George's house to help him work on his car, it's fine with me if you want to drive by and see if I'm there. I'm through with deceit. I've hurt you enough. I'm through with deceit. My life is an open book. You take that approach. Mm. That's lovely advice. Say your, your spouse will come to trust you again. Very, very lovely advice. Speaking of, though, the, the, uh, the unlovely uh, how do you, one of your chapters in your book, Loving the unlove, Unlovely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but, so talk to us you know, about I'll, loving I'll, the unlovely. Yeah. That takes a really special person. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So elaborate you know, on that, yeah. What I say to couples is, you know, ideally, in terms of establishing love in your relationship, ideally, I'd like to see both couples read the book, discuss it together, 
take the quiz online, you know, the free quiz at fivelovelanguages.com and, and start learning how to speak each other's love language. But many times, one of them is not willing to read a book, not willing to go to counseling. It's just the one who really wants to make this marriage work. And this is where I say two things. Number one, you cannot force your spouse to love you. We cannot control our spouse. But on the other hand, we can greatly influence the spouse. So you have an unlovely spouse, one who's not reciprocating your love. You have the power of influence. And one of the greatest influences you can have is to choose to speak their primary love language, even though they're not speaking your love language. Now, this is not a manipulation thing. You know, sometimes I have people say to me, well, I tried that for three weeks and nothing happened. (laughs) Oh, so you were trying to manipulate them, right? That's not love. (laughs) Love is the choice to look out for the interest of the other person, not trying to manipulate them to look back to you. Though obviously, yes, that's what we hope for ultimately. So I say it's a long-term thing. And that's why I, when I counsel couples or an individual, I will say, I would like to challenge you to do a six-month experiment. Let's see what would happen if you speak your spouse's love language on a regular basis, no matter how they treat you, no matter how they respond. Now, obviously, I'm ruling out physical abuse or sexual abuse, that sort of thing. But you you love them consistently for six months. And let's just see what happens. And I can't guarantee that the other person is going to soften up and reciprocate, but I've seen it happen many, many times, Francesca, Mm -hmm. where that person will begin to, after time, begin to say, uh, you know, you've been awfully kind to me lately. You know, what's going on here? And you say, well, I'm trying to learn how to be a better spouse. You know, and they're, they're liking this, you know. And eventually yeah. then they're going to say, what can I do to help you? Yeah. Well, you know, and now, you, now you can teach them how to speak your love language, and they don't even understand the concept. Right. And, you know, love is definitely, you know, I have a, a very a dear friend who always says, uh, is actually the same friend that, that just split up with a guy. She says, you know, he's made a choice. He's because actually this guy broke up with her. He's made a choice not to love me. And, you know, to me, you know, I don't know. That's semantics in a way. You know, if the feeling if there's not a feeling there, I think it's hard to make that choice. Uh, Yeah. Well, what do you you think about that? What happens is we have to recognize that there's two aspects of love. There's an emotional aspect of love, and that's what I'm dealing with in this book, is how to keep emotional love alive. Mm-hmm. But there's also, love is an attitude. It's a way of looking at life. And, and I believe that that kind of love is the greatest influencer. Uh, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the attitude that I'm going to approach this relationship in terms of helping you, and trying to enhance your life, trying to encourage you, and when we have that attitude, it, then we can express it. And the love language helps you express it in the best possible way. Uh, and, and, and if they begin to feel loved by you, there's a good chance that they will reciprocate because love does stimulate love. So the emotional part can come back in the relationship. Mm-hmm. It may not start there. You've lost your feelings for them, but you're choosing to love them. With it by, exp- by expressing their love, and you're t- touching into their emotions. 
and there's a chance that they're going to reciprocate and, and touch into your emotions. Hey, okay, Gary, we've got to take another short break, but when we come back, this is going to be a very short break, so listeners, stay with us here. Don't touch that dial. Uh, when we come back, I've got some questions from um, some of uh, my listeners from Facebook, so stay with us here. Don't go away. All right, we are back, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Gary Chapman, who has written, well, he's written uh, a couple books, actually, and we're going to, another book that we're going to cover in another interview is Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married. That's coming up in a couple weeks, so um, Gary's just got tons of great information, Uh, but the one we're talking about today is the five love languages, so welcome back, Gary. Thank you. It's good to be back. All right. So here, Becca G says, my husband is always buying me gifts. I love all the thoughtful gifts, but no matter how much I complain that I want to spend more time together, quote unquote, he's a workaholic. uh, It doesn't seem to register. Should I just be satisfied with how he shows his love? I don't feel like my needs are being met. I often go to social events alone because he is working. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, I talked a a bit about that in the beginning, Uh, Becca. So thank you for that um, uh, question. But yeah, I, I, that was a question I asked you, Gary, in the beginning about dads that that you know give their kids yeah. gifts. And so, but go ahead, Gary, go ahead and answer that if you would. Yeah, it's not not it's not uncommon at all that one person will feel unloved, even though the other person is speaking one of these love languages to them. It's that they're not speaking the correct love language. So the question is, how do I get my husband to understand this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how well, do I get him like to understand? Sounds like she's saying she complains, yeah, yeah, and you what, say, yeah, like, "Okay, she, so yeah. Becca, I hope your and, husband's and, listening." And obviously, com- obviously, complaining doesn't help. If you just, you just, if you nag him and bring it up again and again and again, uh, then that kind of pushes him away. You know. So what I would say is this: get a copy of the book. Okay, here's an experiment. Get a copy of the book. <clears throat> Tell him that you were listening to Francesca. That <laughs> she was talking with this guy about this book that has sold over 11 million copies in English and been translated in 50 languages around the world. And that you got a copy and you read it and the lights have come on for you. And you're understanding their relationship much better. And ask him, would you be willing to read the first chapter and tell me what you think about it? Most husbands will read the first chapter. And if they read the first chapter, chances are they'll read the book. Now he gets the picture. We have different love languages. Now he understands why you've been complaining about this for so long. Your love language is quality time. Mm-hmm. And what he's doing is speaking gifts. Mm-hmm. And then through that, and then you take the quiz and find out what your love language is. It's pretty apparent to me. But then ask him, once he's read the first chapter, would he be willing to take the quiz mm-hmm. and see what his love language is? So now, because maybe you're missing him, too. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe you're not speaking his love language. Maybe he doesn't feel loved either. Yeah, but he's, we well, want, but he's also, she says he's also a workaholic. And yeah, workaholic. Now, yeah. now, if in the parentheses she had said he's an alcoholic, uh, uh, yeah. that would be different, wouldn't it? But really, anything with yeah. holic is trouble. You're right, and right? that compounds the problem. Yeah, anytime, so, uh, anytime there's an addiction to alcohol, drugs, that compounds the problem greatly. Mm-hmm. Well, but I mean, a workaholism is, is you know, yeah. is, you know, workaholics. You know, it's kind of it's, uh, someone says I'm a workaholic. Nobody sits up and takes notice, really. But if someone says I'm an alcoholic, it's like, huh, it's an alcoholic. Okay, it's like you know, if yeah. you you meet a guy and you find out he's an alcoholic, you don't want to be with him. 
But if he's a workaholic, maybe not such a big deal. But in the end, you know what? The husband's married to the work, just like the husband's married to the alcohol. It really makes no no difference. But um, but I appreciate. But you know, if she had not put that in parentheses there, then I would be uh, more confident. But uh, you know, I think workaholism can be can be deadly. So um, yeah, here's what happens a lot of time, Francesca, with a workaholic. Maybe his love language is words of affirmation, Mm. and at work. Everybody applauds him. Mm. He's doing a wonderful job. He gets mm. all these accolades. Mm. He goes home. His wife complains because he doesn't spend time with her. Right. So he stays away even more. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So, okay. so that, that may be one of the dynamics that's going on here. Sure. sure. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Becca, for that, that question. And I have another one. Sheila F. says, I have a long-distance relationship that's been going on for five years. Uh, she doesn't say how long it's, you know, how long distance it is, whether it's two hours or, you know, from one state to another. But when my boyfriend and I do spend time together, I am wondering if you can suggest how to add more quality to the time. Well, I think explaining and understanding the love language concept would help you when you are together to spend the time more meaningfully. Because you have a love language, he has a love language. If you're speaking each other's love language, then you're going to really enjoy the time together more. Now, you can also speak these love languages long distance once you discover each other's love language. I did a special edition of this book, Francesca, for military couples. Mm -hmm. Because so many military people asked me to do it on how to express these love languages long distance. Mm -hmm. For example... Mm -hmm. You would think that physical touch would be impossible long distance, right? Mm -hmm. But this one lady said, I knew my husband's love language was physical touch. So while he was deployed, I put my hand on a sheet of paper. I traced my hand. I sent it to him with a note that said, put your hand on my hand. I want to hold your hand. When he came home, he said to me, Dr. Chapman, every time I put my hand on that paper, I felt her. Not physical touch, but emotional touch. And that's what we're talking about. Oh, that's lovely. Um, All right, so I think we have time. We have, my producers are giving me a signal here. I think we have time for one uh, more question here. So hold on. Uh, let's see, because I'm looking at a couple of questions and wondering. Okay, we'll 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 take two more questions, but we've got to an- we've got to take not more than like maybe 30 seconds per question. How's that? Okay, okay so Ron okay. V, I'm a highly sensitive person. My partner, not so much. So for me, it's really important to communicate how I'm feeling. Yet my partner feels we spend too much time dissecting our relationship. Is there a happy medium? Okay, so let's just be mindful of not meaning to put you in a corner here, but we can take about 30 seconds for that answer and then one more. Yeah, I think the reason we disagree on those kind of issues is because we don't understand the concept that we that what makes one person feel love makes another person feel love. So I would say if you can expose him to this concept, the two of you can talk about it, mm. uh, I think you're going to find some help in that. Okay. All right. Great. One more. Uh, Sue D., what's the best way to ask for help without manipulating? I'm a single mother with two teenage children, and I feel like I have to, quote, unquote, sway my boyfriend to get him to help out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sway, first of all, he can't, okay. yeah, he can't read your mind, so it's okay to make requests of him. Otherwise, he won't know what you want him to do. So make it request and not demands. You know, honey, would you be able to do this? Could you help me in this way? And if he loves you, 
he's going to respond to it. If he keeps saying no, no, no to what you're asking, then you're you're barking up the wrong tree, okay? <laughs> yeah. uh, because a loving person is going to listen to your request and do what they can to help you. Oh boy! Oh, so much inf- so much information, so little time to to cover it all. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, thank you so much for being with us, joining us today on Talk with Francesca. It's really been a pleasure, and um, well, looking forward to us uh, talking in the future about things I wish I'd known before we got married. So again, uh, thanks so much for being with us here today. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. I enjoyed chatting with you today. You keep up the good work of helping people. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening. We've got a call at a wrap. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Uh, Tune in uh, again next week, same time, same place, and make it a great week. All right. Thanks for listening. We've got a call at a wrap. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Uh, Tune in uh, again next week, same time, same place, and make it a great week. (laughs) 